Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 540 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to talk about silver, gold, and other metals, and owning them, and the skinny on them, different ways you can you can uh, bring them into your, uh, your investing, uh, different things that they can do for you. Uh, beyond just be a hedge against inflation. We're going to talk about things like what a spot price actually is and why when you see a spot price and you go to buy a piece of metal, you always pay more than that price. Uh, we're going to talk about how to uh, how to find good places to buy metals, how to store metal once you have it. And uh, we're going to talk about a few metals you may have not ever considered it for investments before. In fact, I'm going to give you one today that uh, I will bet the majority of you uh, haven't even heard of. And um, I don't really know where that metal is at right now as far as uh, investment potential, but it's something I'm going to suggest that we all look at. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our show sponsors and the rest of our housekeeping. Sponsor of the day number one is uh, Western Botanicals. Western Botanicals, to me, is the ultimate source for herbs, uh, whether you want whole herbs or herbs that are already made into preparations uh, for medici medicinal use. Um, if, if you can buy the herb, they have it. And you can find a lot of things there that you're really not going to find anywhere else. You also will get great help. If you need some assistance picking things out or something like that, give them a call. They'll take care of you. They also have a really awesome program. Uh, it's $50 a year, and you get 25% uh, off everything you ever buy from, from them. So that can add up really quick. But if you're in our member support brigade, you get that free for making a phone call. So remember that. Make sure you use that benefit if you are part of the member support brigade and uh, you uh, want to buy from Western Botanicals. Next up today is uh, ready-made resources. I love ready-made resources because they say what they do and do what they say. Uh, they provide everything that you need for your prepping ready-made, ready to go. All you have to do is order it, and they'll ship it to your house. They also have an extensive collection of solar, uh, photovoltaic, and uh, wind products you can find in their downloadable PDF catalog. And I would download that catalog whether you want to buy something right now or not, just for the information that it contains. Next up, I want to remind you guys to check out our gear shop. We have new products in the gear shop. We have these uh, M3 medic bags, with, uh, and they're red, which is almost impossible to find, uh, with a uh, survival podcast medical patch that Sis Wolf put together. Uh, we only have a limited amount of them in the stores. We sold half of those yesterday. Uh, from the day that they showed up, half of them are gone. We also have these new, really cool... Uh, stainless steel water bottles. So check out those at the gear shop and consider uh, adding those. The water bottles, folks, are like $9.95. They're cheap. Uh, they make good uh, Christmas presents. They ship immediately, and we have lots of them. So if you order those, they're out the door the next day. If you want one of the M3 medic bags, you better get it today or tomorrow because they're going to be gone. And our lead time on them, we can only get them in small lots, is like, and we're getting these from Voodoo Tactical. These are top-of-the-line uh, bags, guys. Uh, our lead time on them is three to four weeks. So once this, uh, this group goes out, it's going to be a long time before we have them available again. 
Next up, uh, remember, if you want to help support this show at 10 cents an episode, or 20 cents an episode, I'm sorry, you can do that by joining the Member Support Brigade. That means you get off the air with me for the day and you think that was worth two dimes. Uh, yeah, I want to support what Jack's doing. Uh, join the Member Support Brigade, $50 a year or $5 a month. But this week, all the way up to Halloween, to fund our new AOCS Comper Project, you can get it for 30 bucks for the first year, and that is down close. That's like 12 cents an episode. Uh, for your first year, of course, you can cancel any time after you join if you don't want to renew. Uh, but the code word is COPPER, C-O-P-P-E-R. Use that when you sign up, and uh, you will get your first year for 30 bucks. If you want to sign up by mail and use a check, just write the code on the form, send it on in. And remember, I do take silver. Uh, I take two ounces of silver or a value of 50 in AOCS silver for a year of the MSB. All right, and you can mail that to me with the form, just like the check, if you want to do that. And everything's on the form when you go to sign up. And with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Uh, again, I want to talk to you about metals today. And I want to talk to you about metals in a different way than you usually hear about them. I just spent the last two days pouring out to you the facts about the United States monetary system. Uh, the only person that took exception to that is actually a constitutional attorney, And he only took exception to a few things that I said, and I think that uh, that means I did pretty good for a layman, and I don't completely agree with every exception he had. Um, but I'm going to try to tighten that up. I, I really appreciate the fact that he took the time to write me and let me know these things, because uh, uh, he got one on me that I thought was, uh, was pretty important. So I'm always open to your opinion on anything. Uh, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm putting you down. And uh, so I want you to always stay, you know, willing to, to email me and let me know when you disagree. As long as you do it tactfully, I try to do it tactfully back uh, if, I, if I answer you. And if I don't answer you, it doesn't mean I didn't hear you. But I guess my point that I was starting out with and drifted with there is I spent all this time talking about our monetary supply. I told you how it really works. I told you why basically we're in an inescapable trap monetarily. And I gave you some basic things you could do for your life at the end of those two shows, but I didn't really give you an insurance policy. And I didn't give you an insurance policy if the whole thing falls apart because of what a ridiculous trap it is, or an insurance policy of what to do if they keep it running for another 50 years, which they might. I mean, it's worked for this long, right? And they might have to make some modifications and changes, but everything may stay almost the way it looks now for another few decades. And we have to be prepared for both of those. And here's my problem with the metal industry as a whole. Everybody that's out there trying to sell you silver and gold and anything else metallic is saying to you, inflation is a guarantee, hyperinflation is a breath away. When it happens, you better have metal to insure yourself against that. Um, yes, if hyperinflation occurs, metals are a great insurance policy. They always have been, and for the foreseeable future, they always will be. But that's betting on failure. And when we look at things around here on the Survival Podcast, we ask ourselves, well, what happens if we don't have failure? What happens if we have success? You know, what if, what if society does relatively well? If we align ourselves in our preps 100% for failure, what that means is we can't live the show credo. We can't live the better life if times get tough or if they don't. We have to be prepared for them not to get a lot worse. Or to get worse, but not end of the world worse. Not Tidawaki worse. Right? We have to be prepared for them to just kind of continue to do what they've always done. 
moderate inflation, mild inflation, heavy inflation, all those mixed up, some deflationary periods in between. We have to be prepared for somebody to come out with the great next electronic marvel and sell a billion of them. If we're not planning both so that we are okay if we have failures or success, we're leaving ourselves wide open to one or the other. It is. Just, I, I want you to take this away from me today. This is maybe another one of my quotes to lock on to. It is just as foolish to prepare only for failure as it is to prepare only for success. And this is why I have a problem with the metals industry, because their entire sales pitch is wrapped around preparing for failure only, not all of them, but a lot of them, and you know what I mean, and it doesn't have to be, because metals can be a really great store of value in good times or bad. They'll just tend to perform better during an inflationary cycle, if that makes sense. So, again, to prepare only for failure is just as foolish as to prepare only for success. So with that in mind, let's let's go through and just look at some of the basic things about silver, gold, platinum, palladium. We're even going to talk about copper, a metal called tantalum today, and lithium, uh, which mainly you're going to have to own that with paper formats because of what it is, uh, and anything else that would fill this niche, you can say the same things about. But let's start out with the case for this. Let's look at, I want you to think about the United States of America from 1964 through 2010. We can point to certain bad times, the mid-70s with um, a, a severe recession. We can point to the early 90s with a, a moderate recession. We can point to recent times with a fairly large recession. But if we look at the period from 1965 to 2010 as a whole, It's actually been one of the most prosperous times in United States history. In spite of everything we know about our money supply, in spite of the Federal Reserve, in spite of the interest on the debt, if we look at the nation, its standard of living, its the average wage per employee, uh, and everything else, while we've lost a lot of liberty economically, it's worked out more than okay, and you would have to concede that. If you had done nothing else but dropped all of your money into the Dow Jones in 1960, you know, let's let's not even go that far. Let's say if you put all your money in the Dow in 1980, in spite of how much money you just lost, you are way ahead. So economically, it's been a pretty good time. So if we looked at metal across that period and we were only preparing for failure, we would think that ah, must not have done that great. You know, how much could have really done for us? Well. I want to take you back to 1964. 1964, uh, we had already made some major changes in the economy of the United States, our economic system. We still had part of the gold standard. Fed was already in place. But one thing we were still doing is we were building dimes and quarters and 50-cent pieces and U.S. dollar coins uh, out of 90% silver. Well, if we average out the nation in 1964... Uh, on gas prices, which is one of the, you know, key expenses that Americans, how we judge our lifestyle. You know, how much is the gas costing us? Uh, it's something we have to buy weekly or bi-weekly, and it gets us to and from work and to and from recreation. And the gas price is definitely tied to every other thing that we buy. You know, you go buy a, a, for anything from a head of lettuce to a computer, and gas prices are tied to it. The cost of extracting other fossil fuels, like coal, 
uh, from the ground. It's tied to oil and gas prices. Well, in 1964, if you had 30 cents, and one of those being that silver quarter, you could buy a gallon of gasoline. So a quarter in 1964 made out of pure silver bought just under a gallon of gasoline. Well, guess what? Today, if I take a 1964 quarter made out of silver and I take it somewhere and I sell it for its melt value, what is the silver spot melt value of a United States quarter from 1964 or back today? It's $4.26. According to AAA today, the national average for gas prices is running somewhere between $2.60 and $2.80 a gallon. Which means a quarter today would buy me, what, a gallon and three quarters, 1.75 gallons of gas if it were a silver quarter and I cashed it in on the current economy. If I looked at this equation when gas was a lot higher, it was a little bit the other way. It took a little bit more than a quarter. But if we look at gas prices over the years and the price of silver over the years, you'll find that a silver quarter bought right around, just under or just over, a gallon of gas from 1964 all the way up till today. So when we look at that, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, good times and bad, 70s recessions, 80s boom, early 90s recession, 90s boom, early 2000 recession, mid 2000 boom, late 2000 recession, all the way through there, our little silver quarter tracked and bought us right about the same amount of a major commodity that we needed it to buy us. So that tells us that metals don't have to just be for bad times. We also have to, if we're going to go forward today, we have to look at what a spot price is. A spot price is the amount of money that a dealer will pay you for a raw metal object. Whether it's a Silver Eagle, .99 fine silver, whether it's a piece of sterling, whether it's junk silver coin, all of these things have their own spot prices. Whether it's a bunch of copper wire sitting in a bin that you stripped the insulation off and took down in the junkyard. No matter what it is, that spot price is what a dealer is going to pay you. And the problem that most people have that are novices to investing in metals is they expect to pay that spot price. There are times when you can. When the metal price is beginning to slowly fall and dealers are worried if they wait too long, tomorrow it's going to fall even further. When the supplies of silver, gold, whatever are at high in the hands of the dealer and low in the hands of the public and they're competing for business as that price falls. Uh, when a, a dealer on eBay gets a hold of a huge bucket of silver quarters and he just wants to convert it to cash as quickly as possible. In all these instances, there are times when you can buy right at or sometimes a tiny bit under spot. These are rare occurrences. If you go to, you know, Apmex, which is a huge dealership, and one of the great places that I know of to buy large amounts of silver and or gold, you're going to see that they're always advertising what their price over spot is. And with precious metals specifically, it's easy to get that price over spot close to because it's a large dollar sale. If I sell you a 10-ounce bar of silver, it's, it's almost $300. So with that in mind, I can take a small margin. If I'm going to sell you a 10-ounce bar of copper, obviously I'm going to be a lot higher percentage-wise over spot because I don't have as high of a volume of dollars. Because what we have to understand if we want to buy and sell metal is the people we buy, and, buy it from and sell it back to have to be profitable. In America today, we've got our heads stuck so far up our ass, we expect companies to do business as nonprofits. 
You know, and then we'll turn around, we'll go to Starbucks and we'll buy a $4.25 cup of coffee that if we had the spot price, it would be about 25 cents, including the guy's wages who pulled the thing and made the coffee come into the cup for you. It cost Starbucks about 25 cents for a single plain old coffee. And it's not four bucks unless you're in New York City at the Javits Center, but down at my local Starbucks here, it comes out to almost three dollars. And we don't blink. We don't bat an eye. But we go to a dealer who wants to sell us silver and make a dollar an ounce of profit, and we have an issue with that. If you look at large dealers, you'll often see if you buy these bars from us today, uh let me let me get you some numbers from Atmex right now to be specific with this. Now, they don't always have a stated buy price on every product they're selling, usually the ones that they most have in demand. Uh, right now, people are buying large amounts of silver. So at, I'm at Atmex right now looking at a 100-ounce silver bar, and they will sell it to you if you buy one to eight of them for $2,476 today, right now, this second as I'm doing this. If you buy nine or more, they'll give you a quantity break, and they'll take it down to $2,466. Down in the description, they have a buy price, and it says this is the price Appmex will pay you when selling your items to Appmex, subjects to certain minimums. $2,367. So if I buy this from them right now today for $2,476, and tomorrow, if the price of silver goes nowhere, and I phone them and say, I want to sell it back to you, they'll pay me $2,367. I will lose about $100 on that 100-ounce silver bar overnight. If I want to sell it back. Metals are a short-term crisis play or a long-term play. They are not a short-term play for a general marketplace. That's something else that we have to understand if we're going to invest in metals. Um, they're not something you want to turn around and sell right back unless there's a spike or some kind of crisis sets it off and crisis causes volatility. So metals always going to sell to you higher than the spot price. Spot price is what you can take it to any dealer and get cash for it today. So obviously that has to have a delta or they can't make any money. And we shouldn't begrudge them a profit or who's going to sell us our gold and silver in quantity. All right? Just just some things to think about. Now we take that and we turn it into something beautiful like a, a custom commemorative silver round and you're going to pay a, a premium because we have to mint it then. We have to build a die, all these other things. All right, so just keep that in, in, in your head as you're looking at prices. Um I also want to talk now about some common forms of gold and silver and what you can own. Um, number one is investment bullion. These are b uh, bars um, or rounds or anything that is, uh, when you look at the, 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 the commodity itself, it has a stated purity on it and a stated weight on it. That's what I generally think of as investment bullion. Now, honestly, um, when you look at junk silver coins, which we'll talk about in a second, it technically is bullion. It's a, it's a known mintage, it's a known percentage, etc. But when we look at investment grade bullion, we're looking at things that are built and designed specifically for the investor to hold. And in general, they are probably the most inexpensive way to own large amounts of gold, silver, or other metals. If you want to own it physically and hold on to it. You want to be able to take it and put it somewhere and go, I know where it is. I can put my hands on it. It's generally the lowest cost. Then there is coin and junk, and I'm throwing them together. So that's going to include things like American Silver Eagles and those 1964 and back silver quarters. They're very, very different, though. But I'm lumping them in today to go through the show relatively expediently. 
thing about a silver eagle is it is a stated purity .999 pure piece of silver bullion provided by the United States Mint, but it also has a face value of a minimum of $1. Now, they're worth, worth way more than $1. They carry their own spot price. And they have certain advantages with being able to sell them without uh, income tax reporting requirements. Real quick, there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense going on right now in the metals industry about this new 1099 law with uh, metals in particular uh, that was buried in the health care bill. This law is despicable because they buried it in the health care bill. It doesn't say a damn word about metals. It just includes metals because of the dollar value. If you think that when this new law passes, you're going to go to Atmex and buy 10 silver 10-ounce bars, and they're going to send you a 1099, you are out of your tree. That is not what's going to happen, and there is going to be no 1099 going anywhere. However, if you go to them and sell them those 10 silver bars, and you are going to take receivership of money in return for them, then they will send you a 1099 when you're selling to them in quantities exceeding $600, which they're technically supposed to do already anyway. And then you don't pay taxes on what you sold them for. You're supposed to keep a basis price, record the price you paid for them, and if you've made a profit, you pay taxes on the gain. So don't let this law sucks. They're going to put a lot of paperwork on small businesses. It's something we really don't need and we really shouldn't have. But again, when Mr. Metal Salesman says buy buy this year, because if you wait till next year, you're going to get into all the no. Don't believe this bullshit. Please stop believing bullshit, people. Please fact-check these things before you start forwarding them to people like me in an email and things like that. Just to, kind of an aside there. but So you've got your coin. You've got your bullion. It kind of works the same way. There's different advantages. I don't want to get too specific because I want to say more of a general show today and cover more. But to me, it makes sense when people say, well, silver is the main metal I invest in because I can afford to invest in sufficient quantities to make it that. And people say, well, should I have silver rounds? Should I have bars of, of bullion with, with known weights and measures? Should I have junk silver coins? Should I have American silver eagles? My answer is, over time, the answer is yes. What do you mean yes? All of them. They all have different niches they fill. So I, I hold some silver in, in flat, plain old, good old-fashioned Apmex bars. I have some beautiful silver rounds I bought from Mary Beth Maidmont. I hold some of Rob's AOCS silver rounds because not only are they a store of value in silver, I can use them in the AOCS economy. I have junk silver because it's an affordable way to buy a lot of silver and it has an underlying basis. If silver becomes worthless overnight, a quarter is still a quarter. So all of them. Gold follows a similar path, but you've never been able to really pick a lot of gold out of circulation, have you? So, And the thing with gold to me, is it's so expensive right now that I worry about a correction in its price. Keeping in mind that I worried about that when it was $250 less than it is now, the correction hasn't come yet. But every bust is preceded by a boom. And if we get a false recovery, uh, initially we should see a price correction in gold. But it doesn't mean I wouldn't buy gold right now. It just means if I was sitting on $20,000... And I wanted to put it all into metals. I sure as hell wouldn't put it all into just flat gold right now. Because um, buy high, sell low is not my idea of a good way to do business. When I go away from physical gold, which we'll talk about more in a bit, there's other ways I can own, own gold, silver, and other metals. There's ways I can own lithium, for instance. And that's with something called an ETF, or exchange-traded fund. An exchange-traded fund is basically paper gold. The fund itself buys and holds gold. 
And when you buy a share in the fund, just like a share in a stock, you have a share in the gold. And the fund's value appreciates and depreciates, not completely concurrently, but pretty damn close to the appreciation and depreciation in value of gold. So quick, safe, easy. It's a way to own a lot of gold. It's also completely not anonymous, right? I mean, it is a transaction that you're holding like a mutual fund. It's got reporting that goes to the government, etc. When you buy it, when you sell it, etc. So there's no anonymity there at all, but... I can go into my E-Trade account and invest $10,000 into a metal in 10 seconds, get a market order trade on it, and I own it now. And the beauty of it is I can sell it like that too. If it goes up overnight by 20% and I say, screw it, I don't want the long play, I want my 20%, I can sell it. Better yet, if I decide I want to hold the basis, let's say I put 10 grand in there, and gold does really good over the next two years, or the next year. And a year later, it's worth $12,500. I've made 25% on my money. And I decide I want to continue to hold $10,000 in gold as a basis. Well, I can sell off $2,500, pull my balance down to $10, pull that $2,500 out, and do what else I want with it, including convert it to cash, have them send me a check, buy another stock. It is much quicker and efficient to divest myself of it, to sell it and buy it, than physical gold. But I can't touch it. I can't hold it. And while it should be safe, I can't go look at the gold that the fund says they're holding. So all I can do is read a prospectus, talk to a financial advisor. He's probably not going to want to talk to me about this because most financial advisors will tell you, oh, yeah, gold's great, but I don't sell it. Silver's great, but I don't do that. Now, the thing with an ETF, though, is I can get an ETF in silver. I can get an ETF with platinum. I can get an ETF with lithium. There's a new lithium ETF out there that I'm watching. I'm seriously considering putting some money into. And uh, it's the, the ticker symbol, if you want to look it up, is LIT. If you go to Google Finance or Yahoo Finance, type in LIT, you'll see this lithium exchange traded fund. It's a very new ETF. A little bit shaky on my part because it's new. And I don't know a lot about it yet, but I'm researching it. Now, why would I invest in lithium when we're talking about gold and silver? Lithium is the lightest metal in the world. It is a metal. It is going to be, it, obviously, you know, when you get a lithium-ion battery, guess what's in there? Lithium. But all of these hybrid vehicles they're going to be making going forward, all these electric vehicles are dependent on other, like cadmium and, and, and rhodium and all these other rare earths, but they're highly dependent on lithium. And lithium is the most abundant, even though scarce, rare earth element that makes these batteries go. The only risk to me with lithium long term is when someone figures out how to build a battery using something less expensive or more available than lithium. Until that happens, and I don't see it anytime soon, lithium is going to be a commodity that continues to shrink in supply and increase in demand. So an ETF is the only way, other than maybe buying a mining stock, to invest in lithium right now. You can't get a five-pound block of lithium and put it in a box. So for some metals, it's the only way to go. Uh, you can buy an ETF in copper. You can buy an ETF in lead, I think. I'm not sure if there's a lead ETF, but there should be, you know, there's, there, I guarantee you there's ETFs that are metals ETFs that allow you to play copper, gold, silver, bronze, all together. There are all types of funds like that. And then the other option is to invest in mining stocks. This is a more risky play, but like most investments, when you invest with risk, you have greater potential reward. So if I have a little mining company that I know is mining in a place with ore, they're actually producing right now, and they're pulling gold out of the ground, 
and they say they have X in reserves and the gold price spikes, my stock is going to spike higher than gold. So all of these are good things. I'll tell you right now, at present time, I do own some paper and silver gold a little bit. I own no other ETFs and I do not own any mining stocks. Um, I'm never making an endorsement or a suggestion to buy, but I'm giving you disclosure that just because I'm talking about these things doesn't mean I've put my money there. I'm just informing you about them. But I want to switch gears to something totally cool right now that I picked up in Backwoods Home Magazine. It's something I think might make you excited and make this all a little bit easier and maybe even a little bit more fun. And that's using jewelry as an investment. Um, now, I don't think you're going to pull this off, and neither does the article say that, if you stroll down to your local jewelry store and say, I'd like to buy gold for less than the value of gold, please. Because no one... No one knows what gold is worth more than a jeweler because the gold that he has, he buys and he forms it into something beautiful. And he sells it for its underlying value plus its aesthetic value. But people buy gold and they buy silver and they buy it and it sits in a jewelry box for years and the best opportunity that you're going to get to buy it according to this article by Thomas M. Buckley. And again, this is in Backwoods Home Magazine, the current issue. And I really recommend you subscribe to Backwoods Home. It's one of the one of the magazines I really look forward to showing up. MSB, you get a free book of your choice with a subscription, by the way. Uh, check your back office. But this article got me excited. It actually inspired this episode. Um, the guy has one picture here of a stainless steel bracelet and a brooch that weighs about three-quarters of an ounce. He paid $1.50 for both of them at a yard sale slash garage sale. So I'm going to start poking around yard sales and garage sales and see what's out there. But what I loved about this article, he didn't just give you tips for negotiating and how to do this stuff and where to find it. He gave you kind of the code to crack so you know what you're looking at. So if you're ever at a garage sale or a yard sale and you pick up a bracelet and you're wondering, is this sterling silver? The markings you're looking for on it will either stay sterling, all the way across, you know, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, all caps, It will say STER in caps, S-T-E-R, or it will be marked with .925, which is 92.5% silver, which is what sterling silver traditionally is. So if you can go out and buy an ounce of sterling silver, you've bought you know, 92% of an ounce of, of silver. Now the spot price of sterling is a little lower, even per ounce, when you factor that in, but it's still got that store of value in it. He gives you another little tip. Six nickels weigh about an ounce. So if you're at this place and you pick up a piece of sterling silver jewelry, and in your other hand you have six nickels, well, you can kind of, that's a little heavier, that's a little lighter, what have you, and get an idea without, because if you go to a yard sale with a scale and start throwing people's jewelry on a scale in front of them, guess what? Your ability to buy that piece for a couple bucks goes away. Because you get them thinking now, and they're probably going to want more than it's worth, Or what are they going to want? The, you know, what it is worth. You know, the spot price or what have you. The only way you're going to make money with this is to buy below and sell above, just like a dealer does. And you can do that right now. Now, what the article says is it's getting a lot more competitive, but there's still a lot of stuff out there. He also gives a code for gold and um, some things to look out for. And I've got all this in the show notes today, so you don't have to write it down or anything. You can go there and pick it up. But here is the codes for gold based on carrot. 
If it's 8 carat, it's 0.333 gold, or 33.3%. 10 carat is going to be 0.416 to 0.417 gold, so that's 41 to 0.6 to 41.6. Call it 41% gold. 14 carat is about 58% gold. 18 carat is about 75% gold. And 22 carat is uh, 91% gold. So when you look at gold jewelry, you can kind of get an idea of its weight, and you can make an estimate of the gold value within it based on its markings. Here's the ones to watch out for, though. These are the big ones you don't want to you don't want to buy unless you just want it for a piece of costume jewelry. Um, and you could put I'm going to use 14 carat like he did, but you could put 22 carat, 18 carat, 10 carat, whatever you want here. It's going to be the same thing. If you see something that says 120th space 14 carat. So 1 slash 2 zero space 14k. That's basically saying 120th of it is gold, which means it's gold plated. If you say four, if you see 14k space p, 14 carat gold, p means plate. Right? Uh, if you see 14 carat space hgep, that's hard gold electroplate. It's gold plating. If you see 14 carat EP, 14 carat electroplate. If you see 14K space GF, 14 carat gold filled. All of those are fancy ways of saying it's silver or copper or something with a very thin, tiny ass layer of gold on top of it, and it's not worth crap. Other than for its aesthetic beauty. That's it. Unless it's on top of silver, and that has the silver value. So I've seen. 14 karat gold plated silver, it ain't worth a damn as gold. But whatever that weight in silver is underneath there, it's worth that in silver. So those are some other things to consider. So what this guy recommends, and I'm going to try this. I'm going to bounce around to a few. I've never done it, again, full disclosure. But I'm going to bounce around over the next couple of months to a few garage sales and yard sales like that. Ask them, try to get there early. Ask if they have any jewelry available. Take a look at it. And if it looks like they have a lot of stuff that's good, Make an offer for the whole thing. You know, if you can look at it and go, this, this, and this is worth about 20 bucks, plus all this other crap that I don't have time to go through, I could offer 20 bucks for this, and I'm probably going to come out on the upside or offer 10. He talks about one, the lady had a coffee can full of things. She pulled a few things out. There were some earrings and stuff like that in it that were marked, you know, as gold. Uh, 14 karat actual gold. And he looked at it and he threw them back in the can and said, I don't know. I'd like my wife to go through these. She might like some. I'll give you 20 bucks for the can. And they, they did it. They sold them the whole can. I don't know if that's the right number or not, but it was something to that effect. The other thing he recommends is maybe bringing with you a little 10X magnifying glass. Because some of these markings on these, this jewelry is very hard to read, especially outside and things like that. But you got to be careful with examining it. Because if you pull out a jeweler's loop in front of the person and start, okay, all of a sudden that price just went up 10 times or more. Probably to something that makes it where you're not going to buy it and they're not going to sell it anymore. So you have to be a little bit secretive with that. But if you have it, you can... And I've got a cool little one that I bought, I think at Hobby Lobby. It's And I, I use it for other things, but it's a little square black one. And the, the magnifier pulls out of it, and it has a little built-in light. When you pull it out, the light comes out. It was like 10 bucks. I would look at getting one of them if you're going to do this. That's what I'm going to use. Because it would allow you to hold it down in your hand and take a look at it and not really be obvious like a jeweler's loop where you're up to your eyeball because, again, you're kind of screwing yourself there. Let's talk about some other metals to consider, though. Platinum and palladium are well-known metals, and I just don't see them as that much diversity against gold. We have palladium uh, that... 
uh, generally tracks with gold but stays well under the price of gold. Um, I think it's about 680 an ounce right now. And then we have platinum, which stays well above the uh, the price of gold. But the see the see the be the thing with these metals is they're very expensive comparatively. And when I look at palladium, gold ran away, and palladium didn't chase it really very well. Silver chased gold better than palladium did in the recent run. Um, platinum stays above gold. A lot of people just refer to it as white gold. Um, so now I'm going to spend more money for an ounce and. I have metals that track and still cost a significant investment per ounce. Am I saying not to buy them? No, I'm just saying, again, full disclosure, I own zero platinum other than my wedding band. The center of my band is platinum. It's 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 a you know yellow gold surrounding platinum, white gold. So um, with that being the case, I own a little bit of platinum because it was the band my wife wanted for me when we were getting married. But I haven't invested in platinum or palladium, and I have no chance, uh, no plans to do so anytime soon. But they are another option, and they do have historic value. And uh, platinum, in particular, has some um, industrial applications that gold doesn't. That helps underlie catalytic converters. Um, if you take a catalytic converter apart, you'll find all these little balls. This is a, an emissions product for your vehicle. And all those little balls are coated with uh, platinum, and that's why catalytic converters worth so much money. They basically take a when you take a catalytic converter in for junk, they take these little balls out and they soak this in a chemical bath, and it separates the the platinum from these little balls. Uh, so that's that's one use of platinum. But you look ahead, you look at more and more uh, vehicles using uh, electronics and lithium batteries and things like that. And we're going to lower emissions. So less need of things like catalytic converters or smaller catalytic converters that use less platinum. So there's everything's a give and take in, in any industry, especially on uh, the metals industry. Now I mentioned a metal called tantalum and tantalum is something that's new on my radar screen. And not because anybody told me about it. I just started saying to myself, is there a metal out there that has high industrial usage that would be easy to divide, that's not really known much about right now, that sits somewhere about midway between copper and silver. Is there a poor man's silver? Because people are calling copper a poor man's silver, and I don't quite see it that way. Um, I see copper as an investment metal, yes. As a cool metal, yes. As a heavily used industrial metal, yes. As a source of value, absolutely. Uh, there are uh, a lot of people in China right now stockpiling copper. Uh, there's a whole article, I'll see if I can find it for you, on pig farmers stockpiling copper in China because they can't afford silver and gold. So I guess that makes it a poor man's silver. But is there another metal? And I found this stuff called tantalum. And I'm even having trouble pricing this because I'm getting pricing from spot pricing anywhere between $62 and $80. But it's an interesting metal. And I said to myself, well, why is it valuable? Where is it? And it turns out it's in just about every electronic device that you own for little resistors and components of, of, of boards and things like that. And it's a highly durable, uh, highly workable metal. So tantalum is something I'm actually looking at and going, is there a market for tantalum as bullion? And I don't know that there is. I don't know that there is. And I found one company that sells tantalum coins, and they are out of their head retarded with the price. Now, if you're the only one selling something, you can set a price anywhere you want it, but I ain't giving you $36 for an ounce of tantalum. It just ain't going to happen. Now when I can turn around and buy silver for you know, $23, $24. So 
that's just a metal I, I'm looking for a source of. But it's, it, it's interesting. It's something I thought I would drop on you today. Copper. Copper is actually starting to form a bullion market. There are people right now selling bars of copper. Some of them are selling them at what I would consider a relatively fair price. Nine, ten bucks for a pound of copper in a bar, mint marked, stamped with purity, uh, formed for storage. Now, would I go out and buy a thousand dollars worth of those tomorrow? Hell no. Um, your spot price on copper being about three seventy-five. Um, again, spot you're going to pay over spot, but I mean, come on. Uh, but putting a little bit of that up. Maybe saying, you know what, I'll throw 20, 50 pounds of copper away like that might not be a bad idea. Copper in the form of, cur of AOCS currency like we're bringing out, that's a different type of investment. That's going to be a pr definitely a premium over spot. It has to be to make a coin, but it has other usages. It can be spent with AOCS merchants. It can be used as an evangelical tool. Uh, it has an intrinsic value for its appearance. And, and I'll, I'll put it to you this way with copper. If I said to you, here is 10 pounds of copper wire and piping and crap in a box, and over here is 10 one-pound beautifully polished, formed, stamped, mint-marked copper bars, I will give you either one for free, which one would you take? And if you would immediately say, well, I'd take the pretty copper bars, well, obviously they have a value to you. You just have to decide what it is higher than the value of the junk copper. But copper, and I think that that bar market and things like now the one-ounce copper bars is stupid. It's it's just too small of an increment of too inexpensive a metal. And I see people selling one-ounce copper bars, folks, on places like eBay for 4 and $5 an ounce. That's just dumb. Don't, don't buy that stuff. But there is a place for finding, and I'll tell you there's a place for scavenging copper in a couple ways. If you can find some copper laying around that can be scavenged for nothing, take it. Put it away somewhere. Or go sell it. Convert it to cash and do something with it. Copper in your pennies. Copper pennies, 1982, most of them, like 75% of 82s, and then everything back, Lincoln pennies, are 95% copper. And people are hoarding them like crazy right now. There are people that are putting aside like 10,000 pounds of pennies pre-82s. There's people that have... I talked about the machine before, and I thought the guy got, got shut down with his machine. This was a guy that wanted to melt them. But now there's machines that do the sorting, and there are people that are going to banks and buying $1,000 worth of pennies at a time, running them through, selling the copper pennies off as bullion, and then taking the balance back to the bank. It is only a matter of time until when you go open up, you know, 10 rolls of copper pennies, you find as few pre-82s as you find wheat pennies. At the point they're out of circulation, there's going to be no point in the, the government banning their melting again, and all of that copper is going to become available for free. Well, just like we talked about the value of a silver quarter, a 1981 penny today, its melt value is about two and a half cents. That's arbitrage at its best. So one thing we do for fun It's about, it's not probably not weekly, it's probably other, every other week, when we're at the bank for whatever reason, we get a $25 box of pennies and we throw it on the kitchen table. We set a couple bowls out. And as we're, you know, just bored or just talking or doing something, we open up a roll and we start sorting them. 81's and under go on one bowl, you know, 83's and above go on the other, all the 82's we leave in a pile. What do we do with those? I take them and I flick them in the air, just like you flip a coin, and the ones that go ping! Copper into the copper bowl. The ones that go thud, you know, you know where they go? They go in the other bowl. And we just throw them aside, and we just take them back to the bank, and our bank has one of those coin sorting machines, and they just dump them in it, and then we just deposit them back into our account. Now, we buy our copper pennies 
from one branch and we deposit them in another so we're not peeing in our own pool, so to speak. You know, And that way it doesn't irritate the tellers either. But lots of people are doing this now. And some of them are doing it on an industrial level. So copper has a num numerous ways you can do this. You can find scrap copper. You know, you can uh, you can go out and uh, sort pennies. You can purchase copper ETFs. So copper's you know copper ETFs, copper mining stocks. You can actually purchase copper bars if you buy the larger bars and don't get totally ripped off. There's a lot of opportunity in the copper market. Lithium, I've already talked about, so I won't go on and on too much. But the only way I really see to own lithium now is either stocks or ETFs. But my God, this is a metal that is going to fuel the next 15 to 20 years minimum of automotive development and electronics development. So I see something there. Um, now, what I want to switch to is kind of going back to what I started with. We have to realize that if we want metals to do a job for us that's the right job, if we want to be able to make sure that we're insuring our lives, that we're insuring against hyperinflation, typical inflation, total collapse in successful economies, You know how many people get left behind when economies are successful? Everybody that expected it to fail. Right? Remember my statement in the beginning. To plan only for failure is as foolish as to plan only for success. And when we look at a person planning for just success, everything will be okay. I'm just going to leave everything in my 401k. I'm going to leave everything in my mutual funds. I've got 30 years until I retire. It's all going to work out. I don't need any extra food. The store is going to be freaking open, for God's sakes. Hey, there's a week's worth in the pantry. That's enough. I don't need an evacuation plan. When we see people that think that way, I don't need to pay attention to one bit to what our government's doing. I'm not worried about the erosion of our liberties. I'm not trying to stand up against anything. I just want to be left alone. As long as the temperature of the pool water is okay, as long as I can still afford that gallon of gas, as long as I can still get my coffee, and as long as everybody leaves me alone, I'm fine. Go away, don't bother me with this preparedness. We think, what a fool. Well, if all we are preparing for is the end of the world as we know it, we are just as foolish, if not more so. Because at least the moron that has no concern about his future going downhill actually has a better track record on the world not ending than we have on it ending. The odds are in his favor. And we think he's a fool, and we turn around and prepare only for failure. So if we're going to prepare for success, and we do things in our preps like we plant a garden, well, if the end of the world comes, people will come and destroy my garden and take my food. Yes, But in the meantime, your garden will feed you and provide you with additional food to store. And once stored, it's portable, and you can take it with you if you have to leave. So it covers both bases. We have to look to metal to do the same thing. So with metal, one way it protects us, and this is what the gold salesman always talks about, and the only thing they talk about is against hyperinflation. With hyperinflation, the value of money declines rapidly, and the value of gold, therefore, increases, or the value of silver increases, or any other metal commodity that still is seen as a store of value. And any other commodity, not just metal, that's seen as a store of value. The, the, the attraction to gold, and more so recently as it's gone up in price, silver, is how much wealth can be held in so small an area. You know, I have a very good friend of mine. It's a very wealthy individual, worth several million dollars. And he's one of my best friends, even though he doesn't give me money. Um, and uh, he gives me good advice, though, about money. And one of the pieces of advice I keep giving him, and he just won't seem to do, and this guy's been in the gold play for like seven years now. He even got out during a dip and went back in. He's done very well with gold. And so I'm like, 
Why don't you have like five to ten ounces of physical gold in your home? You know, he's got his passports ready to go. This guy's from overseas. He's ready to go home or go somewhere else if we have a breakdown of society. He pays attention to the things that are going on out there. He sees potential, you know, dangers in the future. He's got assets divided up in multiple countries so that if he has to leave one and go to the other, he has cash, but he doesn't carry any gold. And he's like, why should I carry gold? I'm like, because if you have 10 ounces of gold right now, you have about $16,000. You have $16,000 It can be converted to any currency anywhere in the world overnight. And it can be carried on your person in small quantities. It's portable. It can go with you. It's your insurance until you get to your other insurance. And yet he still hasn't done it. But that is a plan for hyperinflation or failure. What about typical inflation? Not runaway inflation, not the end of the world as we know. Day-to-day average inflation. We just talked about the money supply for two days. If you understand the money supply, you understand that built into our money supply is a plan for inflation. The, the Keynesian economist desires, prays for, and worships at the altar of moderate continuous inflation. Without moderate continuous inflation, the entire Keynesian economic system collapses into failure. Your government is a bunch of Keynesians. The people running the Federal Reserve are a bunch of Keynesians. Most Americans, whether they know it or not, are Keynesians. They accept the fact that prices are just supposed to go up. They understand that they have to beat inflation by putting their money at risk. And because of that, whether they know it or not, they are praying for inflation. Even though they bitch when the price of something goes up, if the price of something never goes up, the value of their investments will go down and they will lose. Companies cannot succeed in America today under the current economic system without inflation. Deflation or stagnation is death to America's industrial complex. So we know that inflation, moderate inflation, is a constant, or at least a desired constant. And if we look at 1964, when was silver quarters, up to 2010, we see basically spikes of inflation, times of uh, stagnation, where they called stagflation, and times of a little bit of deflation. But overall, the trend, moderate inflation that made the economy prosperous. I'm not saying it did it the right way, but under our current definition of prosperity, it was based on inflation. And it was based on debt, and it was based on interest, and it was based on cheap money. And it was based on cheap energy. And all of those things moving us forward over the past 40 years have done just that. And guess what metal did? That quarter did. What gold did. It all just kept it in check. It was a place with a long-term no-lose value proposition. The only time you got hurt in gold or silver is if you bought it around 1981-1982 during a spike. That's why I'm a little leery right now. I don't, and I'm telling you, I don't know if this is a spike or not. But it feels spikish to me right now. So I'm not buying gold this minute. Right? Holding what I have and leaving it alone. Still buying silver. feel like it's a safer play. Got a big delta. When, silver, when, when gold really ran away, silver didn't chase it the way and keep the delta in place, the differential. So that either means gold's overvalued, and when it corrects, silver's going to have some insulation underneath it, or silver's undervalued, and it's a better play on the upside. So that's why I've stuck to silver for the last two years. I'm not saying I made the right choice. I didn't. 
buying gold two years ago was a good move. But you got to just, you know, remember, you, you can't just throw it all into one kitty. The next is we're planning for what if there's a total collapse? And this is the one I get a lot of emails on. But, Jack, if there's a total collapse, let's face it, I have a great big bag of silver quarters and dimes and 50 cent pieces and silver dollars. During that collapse, that is freaking worthless. The guy next to me wants a can of beads or a first aid kit or a box of ammunition far more than he wants a handful of silver quarters. Yes, initially. Initially, you're correct. During the crisis portion of a breakdown, your silver, gold, and other precious metals are best pushed way back and hidden in a hole in the ground somewhere, and you are best using your preps and your other uh, hard assets for barter and to get by with yourself if we ever have a total collapse. But a total collapse will only last so long. Every disaster has an acute period and an ongoing period. And the acute period is the in, the implosion. And then there's an aftermath. And within that aftermath, eventually people start to say, you know what, we're not letting people run rampant anymore. We're going to put some form of law enforcement back into place. Even if it's not a good form, it's going to, there's going to be some level of control. And people will start to rebuild the society. One of the first things that gets rebuilt is commerce. Employment, um, school, Functions of some level of government, hopefully a lot smaller than they've been in the past, right? Um, and a desire to do business with other people. We are human uh, beings, and by nature, we are communal. We put together societies. We build societies. We are the creators of societies. Societies may change. Societies may implode. But as long as there's more than three of us, we're going to build another one. And in that rebuilding, when the monetary base that was on debt is dissolved to worthlessness, that's when that store of value comes back in. That's when people start going, well, you know, you have meat, and I have eggs, and I want meat, but you don't give a damn about eggs, so I need to be able to buy meat from you, and you need to be able to go buy what you really need from someone else. So I'll give you a few silver quarters or an ounce of silver or what have you and you can give me that you know that's where the monetary value after collapse comes back in and eventually when a society is totally rebuilt and a form of currency is issued by a new government or a rebuilt government or a reestablished government at that point things like higher dollar value stuff like gold allow you to purchase the new currency because don't think they're just going to hand it out to you right it's not like they're going to just go, okay, we've got a new currency now. Everybody line up. You all get, you know, 50,000 Ameros to start with. It's not Monopoly game. You don't get a starting balance. You're going to have to work for or produce something or convert something into a new currency in a total collapse. This is the least likely scenario, but it's the one everybody talks about all the time. And the people that talk about it don't even understand it. They don't, and certainly don't explain it. We also have to plan for successful economies which is that moderate inflation. But in general, a happy, successful economy can be a boom for, for metals. In you know the boom, the 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, stock markets rocking, everything's good. What did gold do? What did gold do from, let's say, 2002 up through about 2007? 
Well, it went from about $300 an ounce to about $650 an ounce. And we were not experiencing runaway inflation. Um, the economy wasn't imploding yet. Real estate was going up. The stock market was going up. Um, most people were relatively content. We had come out of the dot-com bust and the secondary uh, bust in 9-11, and we had had some faltering around, and we kind of fumbled through 2003, 2004. But by the time we got to 2004, man, we were on our feet again, and we were starting to rebuild again, and the prices of housing was good, and everything was good. And everything was good. And there was even some inflation. But a little bit, just a little bit. Moderate, there was a cap on it. Employment numbers were good. Your dollars weren't worthless. You know, a lot of you like good jobs. Unemployment was at a good level. Not a great level, but a good level. And gold still doubled in value. Why? Well, we had about a billion combined Chinese and Indians and, and some other nations in that part of the world where people were moved. Now, there's you know, 2.6 billion if we add China to India, but about a billion total people out of that segment and some of the surrounding nations as those economies developed that for the very first time were going from peasant farmer to middle class. And they liked that and they felt good about it. And you know one of the biggest status symbols that they had? Gold ring, gold watch, gold chain, some piece of jewelry. Those guys love that stuff. You know why? It says I've arrived. And a lot of those places the car's still out of reach. Right? Cars in America, don't tell me they're not a status symbol. Don't tell me it doesn't drive the market. Don't tell me if I offered you a Ford Focus fully loaded or a Dodge Challenger fully loaded and you're a guy, right, and you're a guy's guy, you're not going to want the Challenger. You know? Well, it's cool. And if there was no other reason, that's why. Because it's cool. I mean, it might even cost more. So it's a better value. So if we give it to you free, of course you, but there's, there's gonna be that. And if it's not the Challenger that does it for you, it's the Camaro, or it's something. Or it's the Cadillac. It's a status symbol in America. Well, in a lot of these nations, it's not even just that financially it's out of reach, it's impractical. You know, if you live in a place with a, you know, a population of 25 million in a city, and you got narrow streets and everything, and you, you work a block away, you, you're just not going to freaking buy a car. It doesn't make sense. So what was the status symbol for these folks? And continues to be so. Gold jewelry. Now, when a billion people want a little bit of anything, it puts a supply and demand curve a little bit out of whack to the, to the demand side. And what happens? Prices go up. So played properly, metals help us all around. Just, just saying, we gotta broaden horizons beyond the end of the world. Um, let's talk about storing them. Uh, and, and, and buying them now as we wrap up today. As far as buying them, I, I get a lot of emails, I don't know who to buy from, I don't know who to trust. Look, most large dealers are incredibly safe to deal with. If they weren't, they'd be out of business tomorrow. And if you're buying an American Silver Eagle and you're not buying a numismatic version, you're not buying an MS, you know, 69 first run encapsulated 1986 first year American Eagle, counterfeiting is pointless. You know, it's just pointless to try to counterfeit. Even the Chinese aren't going to try to pull that off. Um, 
It's just not going to happen. So if you're buying American Silver Eagles, you're not looking at counterfeit. If you're buying 10-ounce silver bars from Sunshine Mining or, or Appmex or Monex or somebody like that, not a problem. You're buying from somebody like our show sponsor, Mary Beth Maybon. You're buying kind of boutique silver rounds or buying silver eagles or things like that, fractional silver bars. The price is the price. Now, you can shop around and try to get the best deal, and that's fine. And I'm not saying you should try to buy your metal smart, but don't overthink this. Um, I can tell you flat out, there's people who have messed around with large deals on gold and silver. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And they've, they've dickered over, you know, 50 cents an ounce with dealers and tried to bounce them off each other. And by the time they got the best price from the best dealer, guess what? The price of silver has gone up a dollar or two. And they could have bought from the most expensive dealer last week and did better than buying from the cheapest dealer that they whittled the profit down on this week. Because they've overthought it. eBay, great place to buy your silver. I don't know about gold as much, but silver, low-dollar purchases, junk silver coins, things like that. Right now, everybody's kind of got a little bit, a little bit too smug of an attitude. Metals are too doing so well that a lot of the dealers over there are holding steady on their prices higher than normal. Uh, I used to be able to go to eBay, look up a, you know, find a roll of silver quarters, go over to Coinflation, get the metal spot price on the on the on the silver, bid right at that. Um, or make an offer rate at that, and the seller would either say yes or say, hey, go five bucks more, and would, and would just bam, and I could buy anything I wanted. Not quite that right now, but, you know, as far as safety, when you see a guy that's been on eBay for two or three years and he's done 3,400 transactions and his seller feedback is 100% positive or maybe one negative and the one negative when you read it is some ass clown that's an idiot that deserved negative treatment because he's too stupid and the guy would probably never sell to him again no matter what. You know what? It's community police. It's a safe guy to deal with. Coin shops are generally good to buy with from cash if you want to buy anonymously. We talked about the 1099 stuff. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be dollars, paper money going across tables for, for metal completely anonymously for a long time to come, no matter how much the government hates it. Because it's impossible to track. It really is. And that's, you know, coin shops that we got to be careful is when the guys start trying to steer you toward collectibles. Notice I haven't talked anything about numismatics today. Numismatics is for coin collectors. It has nothing to do, in my opinion, with metal investing. So I, I'm not a numismatic guy because the numismatic portion, if I'm investing in the metal, there is always a market for the metal. If I'm investing in a numismatic, somebody has to have an opinion of it high enough to part with their money for it. And it's not as easy to walk in and sell numismatic value versus in, intrinsic value. Um, when it comes to buying with ETFs, um, I like them because, again, you can buy them with an online brokerage account. If I want, if I decide over the next couple weeks that I want to invest in this new lithium ETF, and I'm not saying I'm going to or not going to, I don't know what I'm going to do with this information yet, but if I decide I want to, I can execute that trade in a couple seconds. If all of a sudden uh, gold just takes a bath, I mean, take a bath for those who don't know the phrase, that means it goes way, way down. Right, It just drops like a rock for some stupid reason that doesn't make any sense. And I decide, man, I want to buy... $10,000 worth of gold now. Well, I can log into E-Trade, find a good gold ETF, and buy now while it's down. Especially if I know it's a short-term down. Um, that's not usually the way I play things. I'm not a trader. Uh, but if I do see an opportunity that I see low risk, high potential reward, I may take it, I may go ahead and go after that opportunity. That's part of my entrepreneurial spirit. ETFs kind of fill that role. Um, 
Jewelry, I talked about a lot today. I think if you want to buy jewelry as an investment, you need to go to the, you need to go to garage sales and yard sales. You ain't gonna do it at the flea market. People do that for a living. They know what it's worth. You know, um, you ain't gonna do it at a jewelry store or a pawn shop. Again, these are people that know the underlying intrinsic value. They're selling the beauty of the jewelry on top of the intrinsic value. They're selling your desire to wear a necklace or a ring or a watch on top of the metal value. You want to look for people that are damn ready to, to throw the stuff away. They just don't have the time to go through it. They're moving. Uh, and I think you can do a lot with that. There's some other ways that you can do. I, listen, uh, some other ways I think you can do some metal investing or metal trading to make some money pretty low risk. I talked to a guy on a forum recently that does this. He goes to like all these big swap meets. And he doesn't look for jewelry. He looks for rims. Automotive rims. Like car rims, truck rims. A lot of guys, you know, they put nice rims on their car and they have the stock dealer rims and they just sell them dirt cheap. And I thought, well, I can't see any money there. Well, most of them are made out of aluminum. And he said he can usually pick up a set of rims for about $40, $30, just generic, cheap aluminum rims. And a lot of times they'll have $100, $125 worth of aluminum in them. So on a weekend, he can go out and find maybe two sets of rims and, you know, just shop around it. It's like a hobby for him. And, and make a couple hundred dollars or $150, $120, depends on the weekend. So there are more ways to be creative with this than just the typical. As far as when it comes to gold and silver and, and platinum and palladium and any kind of valuable metal that's in a small amount and a large store of wealth, there's a few ways you can store them. One is safety deposit boxes. I used to have one. I used to keep my metal in a safety deposit box. And with some changes made to the Patriot Act that redefine a safety deposit box as a financial relationship, which means it's subject to search and or seizure by the United States government during certain times and certain, certain occurrences, I no longer hold anything at all in a safety deposit box anywhere. And I know it's a low risk, but it is a risk. And it's one I do not have to take. And I don't find that paying my own money and renting the damn thing, and having it subject to that risk is any longer acceptable in my life. The good, highly secure, highly protected, and most likely private. In all but the most extreme situations, nobody's going into your safety deposit box. You better make sure the bill's paid. The bill's not paid, the bank can liquidate the box. But other than that, good to go. The bad, though, is if there's a crisis, the bank's closed, you can't get in, can't get into your box. You know, the bad is... It's, it's held somewhere apart from you. Home safes and fireboxes. I, I believe you should have your metal in a firebox, not just a safe. So if it's a safe, it better be a fire safe. The bad is that, you know, if they're relatively small, if a criminal that comes in could basically just pick it up and run away with the whole thing and worry about getting it open later. So they have to be secured, uh, such as being uh, mounted into the floor, or they have to be well hidden, or both. And both is better. But if it's in your home or stored somewhere else that you have ready access to that way, then you can get your hands on it when you choose, and you can do so anonymously. And that, I think, is why it's my favorite way to store metals. Protected by a safe, protected from fire, because in a fire, your gold and silver will melt into a blob and be unrecoverable. Right. So a firebox, fire safe, my primary way that I want to see my gold and my silver protected and stored. Um, private storage facilities I don't know a lot about, but it is possible that you could go out and rent a private storage facility that's for the storage of anything from junk 
to fine bottles of wine to bars of silver and gold, and that's not a financial relationship. And because it's not a financial relationship, what that means is it's not subject to the same type of laws and legalities and regulation that a safety deposit box is. It is, however, something you own and something with your name on it and something that's traceable. And if somebody comes after you, something that could be locked down, seized, and investigated, just like any other piece of property you have. So it does have that. Uh, there's also a bank called Free Lakota Silver Bank where you can hold silver in their vaults. And if you hold enough silver in their vaults, they'll actually pay you interest and pay you interest in silver. It is the only way I know of to hold physical metal and earn interest or a dividend on physical metal. I don't know a lot about the bank. I know that they print their silver or mint their silver through Rob at AOCS. Uh, that gives me a lot of confidence. It is run by the Lakota Indian tribe that sees themselves now as an independent nation. But it is a bank and it is therefore a financial relationship, subject to anything that any financial relationship would be in regards to government or if somebody were to come after your assets. So that's another thing about metals. If you have a stockpile of silver and gold, even if you've publicly stated it somewhere, and someone tries to sue you, and you say, well, I'm only worth X dollars, the most you can get is that, and they say, well, but you have silver and gold. No, I don't. I spent it. It's gone. What'd you do with it? I owed some guy money, so I hawked it, and I, I paid him off. Can't get blood from a stone. That's the beauty of holding on to it. Then there's the last one, wearing some on your person. I mentioned my wedding ring. Now, I'm never going to depart with my wedding ring, but it's an example. It's a fairly large chunk of platinum and gold. It has an intrinsic worth. Um, you could make a simple pendant, 5, 10 grams of gold. It has an intrinsic worth. It's always on you. And in short-term emergencies, like being stranded somewhere... You're only your nearest pawn shop away from enough money to get by for a day or two. I, I've seen necklaces made out of, you know, St. Gordon's uh, $20 gold pieces. That's, you know, almost an ounce of gold there. I, I think people that do that to original St. Gordon's coins are making a huge mistake because there is a numismatic value there that you've kind of destroyed. Uh, but there's Betzels. A Betzels like a, a thing you'd wear on a necklace that doesn't, you don't actually alter the coin. You can put the coin inside there and basically lock it in. So if you wanted to remove it and sell it, you could do that. Uh, it could be a chain on your uh, on your wrist. Uh, I like necklaces and pendants because they can be hidden and concealed. They're less uh, flamboyant, they're less showy, they're better opsec, but they can hold. You know, an ounce of gold is what is it, thirteen hundred and something dollars right now? If you're stuck somewhere, and even if you only get half of that, six hundred bucks. Because you need the money for whatever reason, because you're stranded somewhere. And I'm not talking about the end of the world as we know it. I'm talking about you were on a trip somewhere, the car broke down, uh, the credit card machines aren't working, whatever's going on, as long as you can go out and exchange that for money, you at least have cash. You should carry cash as well, but it's yet a, it's a way to carry a lot of value in a small area. And it's something to consider. So those are... Different types of gold, different ways to, different types of metal, different ways to acquire it, uh, different ways to see it as an investment, how it hedges. Hopefully this is a different show. I've done some silver and gold stuff before, but I brought a lot of different stuff to you guys today. It's 539 episodes today. Man, I work hard to keep this top, these topics varied and bring you new information and new ideas. So today I gave you ideas like copper bullion, learning more about tantalum, using ETFs, uh, how to buy jewelry, uh, from garage sales and make money with it. Uh, how to turn a, a set of rims into a couple extra hundred dollars. Uh, and a lot of other ideas. 
Uh, I'm going to try to do more things where we branch out of the typical things we've been talking about and further enlighten you. And I hope this has done that. Uh, with that, minute, an hour and ten minutes have passed by, longer than usual for shows. I've been going longer lately. But I've been going into some deeper topics, and that's necessitated that. So I am done for the day. Uh, but one thing I want to make sure I leave you with today. No matter what you're going to do or no matter how you're going to do it, whether it's with metal or with something else, we don't know the future. We can't know the future. But we do know what we will experience is change. Whether it's positive or negative, it doesn't really matter because if we're not prepared for both, either one of them can hurt us. By ensuring that you have real stores of value, real value in your life, real value in your home, real value in your investments, and metals just being one form of them, you can ensure yourself so you can live that better life no matter what happens. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they are. Nobody up there cares, they're living.